Hey, sports fans and savages, welcome to the Greg Medford Show. Greg, your host here, Phoenix, Arizona. What's going on? Look, you know, it's a Tuesday for us. I don't know when this show's going to come out, what day it is, but we're trickling these things out there. Once a week, a new show pops. Hey, Bobby, what's the schedule on when these come out? Uh, about three weeks. No, but I mean, when's it? When, how? Wednesday. Every Wednesday? Every Wednesday at 7 a.m. they pop. So every Wednesday at 7 a.m. you can see a new episode. We are featuring, it's interesting for many of you around the country right now, there's a lot of stuff going on. We just, uh, today are the, um, uh, we've got some runoff election midterm stuff going on today around the country, Pennsylvania and a couple other places. Um, interesting stuff to watch and I know we'll already know the results of those by the time you watch this show, but a lot of the issues that are really um, pushing America right now. We're at the forefront of them down here in Arizona as a border state. We don't have the big oil money uh, revenue like Texas does as a state. So um, we've got kind of different resources and oftentimes different and sometimes more creative approaches to how we could solve the problems down here. But the problems are real and there's a tendency to, there's a tendency to be, you know, it's like uh, if there's a, if there, if you live in a neighborhood where the houses are far enough apart, you stand out front and drink your coffee. If someone's house catches on fire and the fire department's there, you kind of stand out front of your coffee and go, geez, I hope everyone got out all right. If you live in an apartment building and somebody on the second floor's place is on fire, you, it starts mattering to you if you're on the ninth floor. And for the other 47 states that rest on top of us border states down here on the southern border of the United States with Mexico you guys are sitting on top of a dumpster fire and not doing really anything about it you're not thinking about it enough because it's not affecting you directly enough now if you go to get any construction done in your town we noticed about seven years ago there were some laws that passed and it stopped bigger companies from hiring illegals. You started seeing a tightening of employment in construction. And now we're seeing it wholesale. Now you'd think with, I don't know, two and a half million people who've jumped across the border this year, uh, that there would be, uh, the construction market would be flowing again, but it's not because there may not be legal place for them. So um, we've got a guest today. We're going to talk a lot about the border, I think, because um, he's running for USCD7, the new borders or the new names, the new numbers with all the redistricting that just happened. He basically is running for the district in Arizona that is across the entire southern border of the state. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. He spent a bunch of time down on the border. He's worked with a lot of, he's, he's gone along uh, with a lot of different folks and uh, seen what's happening. He's seen the little trails in the desert. I'm sure he's encountered all sorts of folks. He's an immigrant himself, kind of a cool American story. And uh, what an amazing fucking place where you can go from goddamn nobody to the halls of power. What an amazing place. It can almost happen nowhere else without like an army. You know, immigrants aren't coming in and running Germany. They're not coming in and running Britain. We've got folks like my grandfather, like the gentleman who was our guest today, um, People who come here because it's the number one most desired place to go on planet Earth, no matter where you live. 
You know where the number one place the Germans want to immigrate to? United States. You know where the number one place Britons want to immigrate? United States. Russians, Uruguayans, Chileans, Nairobians, you know, people from Egypt, people across Africa. The number one place everyone wants to go to is the United States. Not because we're the awful place everyone's been saying for years. So, in this ongoing series where I'm too old, fat, and ugly, and my knee's too bad to kick down doors and do do good bidding for my nation, what I can do is pick up the musket of the modern day. I can have a different battle, and the battle is, since the press refuses to speak truth to power or to us, then it's up to the citizen soldiers to get on a microphone and interview people, and what an amazing country where... Just regular folks can run for office and run for the halls of power, and regular folks like me can sit and talk with them in this extended format. So today we want to uh, we want to welcome uh, Luis Pozzolo. Did I say that right? Perfect. Okay, uh, Luis, thanks for being here. Appreciate you coming in today. You've got a pretty cool story. Um, you know, straight up immigrant out of Uruguay, right? Uruguay. When you came here in uh, 2006, 2003? I came in uh, 04. Yeah. In 04, okay. Uh -huh. And uh, so it's been it's been a pretty crazy 18 years for you, right? It's been, yeah. It's <laughs> been uh, amazing too, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I love this country. I'm uh, assimilated to this country. I'm American by choice. Um, so I, I really love this country and the story. Um um, that's the reason I'm running. I want to do something for this country. What is happening here is uh, is very sad. Right. A um, little bit of background. Your dad was a president of Uruguay, right? Yeah, my father started when he was 27 in Congress, and in uh, 99 he was a, a president for a small period of time, a short period of time, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, is he still alive down in Uruguay? No, he, he died three weeks before I came here, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Um, and then uh, what... Caused you to come to the United States? What was the drive? Um, I always love America, you know. Me uh, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and always uh, read about American history, um, and that's a place to go if you wanna. You know, that's American, the American dream for anybody outside this country to come. Uh, and my challenge was uh, my challenge to myself was to do it the right way. Because that's the way you show respect to the nation, the history, and the people that live in that in, in the place. So, how did you get here? Tell us a little bit about your journey, because you know all we hear are these other. Did you come here for political reasons? Did you have to get out of Uruguay? Um, I, I start, you know, when I when I came the first time, I was a, a Salvation Army soldier. So the first year, you know, was back and forward, um, looking and you know seeing what what uh, the future is going to be in Uruguay. And the time I decided my father died. Uh, we knew that the leftists are going to take the country after, you know, been fighting for 40 years different ways. Um, um, basically, you know, I'd say I, 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 I don't want to live in a socialist country. So it was know. communists taking over down there? Uh, yes, they did in 04, November 04. Yeah. You know, they, what is called Frente Amplio, what is a, you know, very um, radical leftist group, you yeah. know, that running that Frente Amplio, you know, uh, to control and basically in the last 15, 16 years destroyed that country. Right. And then uh, uh, you came up here. Did you? How, how, tell us 
real quickly how you went through the process because I know I know people who've taken 12 15 years to get to the United yep. States how, yep. how did you get here so I came here and I you know I applied for political asylum um, I how did work. you get here actually here I, I flew here all right you, know, so you I flew here a, landed I, in an airplane you had a yep. visa to come for uh, a short time yes uh, have a visa b1 b2 visa that's a tourist and I have a business visa too. And because I was doing work with Salvation Army and you know, get six, seven months to be here, I have, you know, money to, to survive, you know, the first year, year and a half. And that's, that's what I did until, you know, uh, talk with a few lawyers in Kentucky. I came to Lexington, Kentucky, um, and they say, you know, let, let's try. Um, it's going to be hard because at that time it was certain amount of people they can go through the process through political assignments, not like now that can be two millions. I think at that time we were something like between 50 and 60,000. And they say, is, is immigration is going to deny your case, like deny everybody. Uh, you're going to go to a federal court and a federal judge is going to decide if you stay, you leave. Um, so that's what I submit to that process and that day and went to the court and uh, had my daughter outside. My wife was with me, had somebody taking care of my daughter. I said, well, if they send me back, I'm going back. I'm not going to be here in this country as a shadow, you know, living in, you know, in the shadows. So um, everybody told me that that was a conservative judge that's not going to give me the political asylum. Um, and I have a student, law student, uh, who was uh, representing me through this uh, organization that was helping me. And uh, he said, hey, you know, uh, let's try. And the judge got so impressed with the, with the student and a few questions. You know, I think the question that really uh, brought a lot of attention to him, he did some research about the people who were running the country, said, I know these are really bad people. Um, in the past, it was a, the most radical groups in South America. Uh, they kill people, even American citizens, and that in the 60s, 70s. So I know what you're talking about. Uh, but he asked me a question. I said, what happened if you go back? Just shut up, you know, don't talk anymore. And I say, what happened if everybody who believes in freedom shut up around the world? What is going to happen? We are not going to have freedom. Um, so he gave me a chance. He said, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you a chance. Uh, I will give immigration a chance to appeal in the next 30 days. So I was sitting in my house for 30 days checking, you know, on a website. Yeah. I said, is immigration going to, you know, uh, who was president? Who was president at the time? Obama was president. Okay. Yeah. yeah, Obama was president. And... Um, 30 days later, the immigration didn't, didn't uh, you know, appeal. And I went to, they say, well, day number 31, you go to this office and you're going to get all the paperwork you need to, you know, start your life in America. So that was, that was my uh, very exciting day. And I show up into this office and the first thing I have is uh, this lady put so many forms in front of me. And I said, well, what do I need to do with all these papers? I, said, I had this federal order, uh, court order that you're going to, give me my social security, my driver license. And that's what I'm looking for. So no, you are, we're going to fill out all these forms and we're going to pay for your gas. This is for your apartment. We're going to pay for you first. No, 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 you know, take this away. I just want to, my driver license, social security card, I'm going to be lost in the system. You'll never hear about me. And she didn't like that. So they pulled me to the back and I have, remember it was a Russian uh, social worker with me that was assisting me. And I said, oh, you don't say that here. I said, well, that's the American dream, right? You know, you, I'm going to, you know, it's, it's a challenge. At uh, that time, my daughter was probably a year, nine months to a year. She was born here. And, um, so your your daughter was born here. Yeah. Your wife is from Uruguay? Yeah, or, she came with me. Yeah. All right. She, so the two of you came here while you were waiting. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. And, um, and I said, well, um, it was tough. My wife was looking to me. I said, well, we can have all this help. Why are you taking this away? I said, well, I, I'm going to prove myself. Because I'm a man. Yeah, I'm yeah. a man. I want to take yeah. care of my family. And I started this washer. You know, my father was, I remember, he was a... Probably a week before he died, 
um, he had an emphysema and, and, and throat cancer. Um, and he said, man, what are you going to do? You're going to go to America to wash uh, dishes. How, how, how old were you? I was 31 at that time. No, so I have a, Did you go to college in Uruguay? Yeah, I went to college. Okay. Uh, you, I start, what, what was your uh, specialty? Uh, you know, I never finished. I started, I did one year in engineering and after I went into uh, international relationships and after I got my CPA and I got into banking. Uh, so my whole career was into banking at uh, two years and then through the banking process was 12 years and a half. I was in a capital working for a congressman, uh, not my father. You know, my father was a senator at, at that time. Uh, so I went for two years, you know, in commission to work for this congressman. I, I came back to banking. So you're uh, kind of from the upper class in Uruguay. You're from the ruling class of family. And then you made it here and started at the bottom. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this <laughs> okay. was here. You know, and I worked four or five. I don't That's remember. a long way yeah. from being a senator's son or a president's oh, son yeah. going to wash the dishes. That's what my father told me. You're going to America to, uh, you know, wash the dishes for the gringos. Don't go. He didn't, he didn't want me to come. And I remember fetch, first job and I was like, I have this hell machine hot water and everything and all these people dumping glasses and yeah. and you know and plates and i said oh man he was right but in my mind that day i remember that was in lexington kentucky in a restaurant called yamamoto it's a japanese restaurant and i said you know what i'm in america i know i'm not gonna finish i'm not gonna retire from this machine you know doing dishes and that was exactly what happened, you know. You know, that's what those jobs are supposed to be for. You know, they the Democrats want to make a minimum living wage or a living wage out of all these little jobs. A lot of little jobs are meant to, like, someone's got to do it, but you don't want to be there long. Mm -hmm. They're meant to have you go, get me out of here. Mm -hmm. So you get motivated to go to the next step and the next step. Mm -hmm. I think people who haven't worked their way up forget that, you know, yep. there's a lot of jobs you're supposed to be motivated to want to not do. Mm -hmm. It's okay. It's still the work's still got to be done. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you that was in Lexington, Kentucky. In, yeah, in Lexington. Kentucky? Yeah. Okay. And uh, and then how long did you live in Kentucky for? I live in Kentucky close to ten years and a half. Yeah. All right. And yeah. so you got your citizenship while you were in Kentucky. Yeah, in October twelfth, twenty twelve. What did you think about that? Yeah, that was a, yeah, that's a good date and. Uh, and you know it is amazing because you know you, you really value that because I worked for close to eight years to get a citizenship and yeah. do every, everything right. You know if you get a felony or you can be sent back and you didn't want to do that. We went through very tough processes because you know before even we get our green card, my my mother-in-law died over there. She was forty-eight. Um, my wife was working too, and um, she couldn't go because we were scared that you know Couldn't maybe back coming in. back yeah. and uh, you know the. Uh, is the discretion of the officer on the port? They say you are not coming back. So, right. you know, we, you know, it was very tough for her. She didn't lose one day of work, and uh, uh, you know, we went through a lot, you know, to to be able to to get to that day, October 12, twenty twelve. Um, and you know, I took my citizenship and I took it seriously because you know, I think six months after I got my citizenship, um, it was when Obama and, and some of the some Republicans like Marco Rubio and McCain and all that guys uh, decided to vote with the amnesty bill and uh, decided to get involved. And four months later, um, I took a break from, from job. I was working for a, for a railroad company at that time. I was a safety manager for a railroad company. And um, I said, I'm going to do my own nonprofit organization. I'm going to fight this. You're going to fight what? What were you going to fight? Amnesty. And you know, the, the amnesty of, for illegals. Yeah, the amnesty in uh, 2012-13 when they tried to pass a gang of eight. I don't know if you remember that. Mm -hmm. 
So I think Kentucky, very small, a great organization called A-List, America for Lawful Immigration Solutions today. Um, four months later, I was in Washington, you know, the Numbers USA, Unfair, all these groups started, you know, paying attention to what I was doing. I said, hey, we need you working here in Washington. So I was doing a lot of work, you know, with Numbers and and unfair in, in, in Washington and became the number one activist for, for fair. Uh, never got paid for that. I, I was it, That was not my intention to do a job, you know, getting paid for. But I had the passion because I, I, I believe the citizenship need to mean something to people. And the people that come here, you need to be able to assimilate. We lost that process, the assimilation process. You allow people to come here and become citizens when they hate this country. I don't think it's even common sense on that process. No, it's crazy. Yeah. It's uh, crazy. Yeah. So. Um, you know, it's, uh, who, did you, and did you vote in the last cycle? I mean, obviously you voted oh, in the yeah. last cycle. Who'd yeah. you vote for? Donald Trump. Okay. Yeah. I know there are, you know, I, I, because I, I came out for Donald Trump like a year before the election, like very early on, it was like that crazy blonde Ann Coulter and me, we were the two who were like, oh yeah, Trump all the way. I hope he does. And all I was thinking was he was just going to be going there be a gangster and just be a rabble rouser and piss everybody off cuz that's what i want mm -hmm. i think washington's so corrupt the only thing you could do is level the place to the ground get rid of all the people and start again i think it's the worst cesspool in yeah. in human history and that was my assessment and my you know two years working as an activist mm -hmm. uh came home and uh said i'm going to stop doing this this is uh unfixable it's that a waste was, it's yeah. a waste of time yeah so that was before Trump, you know, uh, even was running. And I uh, think a year and a half after I decided to, you know, say I don't want to have nothing to do with politics. I, st I still have my scars from at that time from, from what happened in my childhood, you know, when uh, my father was a senator and, you know, this leftist group tried to take the country, the uh, military took control of the country because, you know, politicians, including my father, couldn't deal with the situation. Uh, my father, you know, need to flee the country, you know, everybody, he was a Republican, you know, but uh, uh, for the military, everybody was in a blacklist. So my father couldn't even get a job. So he left to Paraguay. I didn't see my father for 10 years. So uh, politics really hurt me. You oh, know, yeah. hurt my childhood, sure. you know, they have my scars and, and seeing what they did to him. My father was an amazing man. They never made money. Uh, was very, very clean. One of the most honest politicians over there. Uh, and see everything that what the party and, the, and and even the people that he thought they were friends did to him at and you know I said well I don't want to be involved in politics so I got that it's know, an to, ugly ugly yeah, business yeah, it is an ugly business yeah. so I didn't want to get involved and until probably um, November 2020 I have a lot of people say you you have so much passion for this country you have so much uh, you know talent you should be involved in policy don't don't even go there i'm not gonna do it you know it's fascinating my i grew up hanging out with my grandfather a lot uh, both my grandfathers you know my parents were they were kind of in they were kids they were kids having kids uh -huh. so they weren't you know they my parents loved me and they were awesome and so i love them you know they're awesome but they were a kind of a hot chocolate mess <laughs> My grandparents, like for most of us, much more stable mm -hmm. and they'd been around longer. And I spent time with my dad's Texas father, my grandfather Ferris, working leather. You know, he showed me how to do leather work and we bent metal and kind of did like, you know, handcrafting mm -hmm. stuff. And then the other side, my mom's side, uh, the Greek side, he was off the boat from Greece, went through Ellis Island during World War One started the fruit and vegetable business he was a fruit and vegetable peddler mm -hmm. on the east coast in boston and then 
founded a trucking company that my family runs to this day. And I remember when I was a kid, you know, when you're a kid, your grandparents are kind of past their prime. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, you, you you kind of always know your grandparents as these gentle old people. Mm-hmm. But they were badasses when they were younger, you know. And I got this sense of that a little bit from my grandfather, just hanging out with him. Because I, I hung out with him a lot. Whenever I was around, I would hang out with my grandfather. And he would tell his story. And you could see... Americans, you know, born here, natural, white-faced mm-hmm. Americans, listening to this Greek man tell him about, he would take his handkerchief out and always wipe his eyes because he'd get teary-eyed mm-hmm. talking about becoming an American citizen. And I remember that was probably the most impactful patriotic thing I had ever seen mm-hmm. was a guy who basically said, oh, I don't want to, you know, he's like, I don't need to go back to Greece. I don't ever need to go back to Greece. He's like, oh yeah, there's people there, but no, the country failed me. You know, he didn't say it as simply as I'm saying it, but... Basically, he was like, no, that place is awful. It failed me. I can't, I'm glad I left. I'm, I, I don't ever need to go back. I'm, I'm an American. Mm-hmm. And he didn't speak with a thick Greek accent. He kind of worked to, to get rid of mm-hmm. his accent. He Americanized. He assimilated. And had, and then, but he didn't change his name. His last name's Nicotopoulos. <laughs> so, you know, we, I went to a Greek church. We were Orthodox and, and kept a lot of that tradition that mm-hmm. I really identify with, but what I really remember was him when talking about when he the day he became an American citizen. Mm-hmm. He always got teary-eyed and cried about that day. Yep. So when I see that in immigrants, whether they're black from Nigeria or whether they're from Uruguay, they it feels more like my experience mm-hmm. than a lot of people that are just natural born. I'm a natural born American. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, this is my so I'm second generation, but I'm so connected to that first generation i'm super i feel this kindred spirit to these people who give give up their countries and come here and claim this country mm-hmm. it's amazing it's the, one of the amazing things about our country you you said i choose to be an american yes i mean you can't pretty much choose to be damn near anything else but you can choose to be an american yes you can which is amazing yeah so your journey uh you know obviously you've got in your makeup this political upheaval from your childhood that you've seen happen and, and, and came after your father and your family that probably helped the judge make a decision about letting you mm-hmm. stay here since you came from a political family. Um, dad was a senator, spent a brief time as a president, and then boom, you pop up washing dishes mm-hmm. in Kentucky. Yep. How was your English at the time? Um it wasn't that bad, you know. I, I, I could understand my mother, you know. Every, 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 everybody uh, plays soccer in Uruguay when you are a child. Mm-hmm. My mother decided to cut that, and I said, you're going to go to um, a London uh, academy, you know, English from London in, in Uruguay. So I spent nine years, you know, uh, learning English. Um, and it was different English, you know. The English it was British English. Yeah, it was British. Yeah. So, uh, well, but, they, they say two... Uh, what do they say? Two different people separated by a common language. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I mean, my wife didn't didn't speak any English. So the first thing I did, I remember, we put the first time we put cable. Uh, you know, have all these Spanish channels, and she was on the Spanish channel. I said, no, I'm gonna cut all the Spanish channels. She was complaining about. That. I said, no, we are not gonna have any Spanish channel uh, channels. We need to really learn to be. You know, you can have any knowledge if you cannot communicate that. And I have friends uh, from Uruguay that I met later. You know, they are 
very very smart guys they have a lot of knowledge working in it and different things yeah. but they didn't speak in english and i said well i have all this knowledge and i'm working for I'm, i remember he was working on advanced auto part for eight dollar fifteen and i said brother if you're you had the knowledge you cannot communicate the knowledge it mean nothing yeah and no, I, I mean nothing wrong with spanish but yeah. i mean if you're here you, yeah, you, you, yeah. It, it will you know i've seen it I've seen it in like crews that get hired to do work and labor. If there's a dude in the group who speaks English, they ask him to be in charge, mm -hmm. no matter how competent yes, or incompetent yeah. he is, because they're like, Jesus, I can at least talk to mm -hmm. the guy. So, um, so you, you know, you just made a very conscious choice to become an American. Yes. Yeah. So uh, I see this erosion of our country. Mm-hmm. And it's and I have zero resentment about brown people from South America or black people from Africa or Asian people. I have zero resentment about them coming mm -hmm. here. I get it. This place is fucking awesome. Mm -hmm. You know, what I resent is my own stupid country not sticking up for itself. Yep. And there's a way to bring people here um, so that we bring people who love the place. Mm -hmm. And it seems like that would coming here is, doesn't mean you love the place. That's that that they're they're not the same. There are people who come here who don't love it. Oh, absolutely. The and, people that are here they hate this country. Right. You have people in Congress there. They they had this amazing opportunity to be here, and they feel this country is, is hell. Right. Well, we have three or four of those. Yeah, and it you know, and their parents came here. Some of them, the ones that hate us the most, were yep. born here. Yep. Their parents mm -hmm. came here, uh, journeyed across a world, mm -hmm. and gave up their homeland and. Uh, I'd love to interview their parents and see what their parents think. Mm -hmm. You know, what the hell has happened? So uh, you're running for CD7, which is basically the entire Arizona southern border, right? 82% of the border, Eight. all the ports of entry are... There's a little spot over on one end that's not yours, right? The uh, east side, yeah, it's a, just a small piece, but, uh, you know, the, the main activity on, on, on trading and illegal immigration is, is happening on that 82%. 420 miles of border, this is the biggest... A portion of the border in one district in the U.S. So you, if it, it tell me who you're running against. Oh, I'm running against Raúl Grijalva. So Raúl is, um, you know, to understand Raúl, you need to know where he came from. Raúl is a uh, he was an activist for Aslan and and Mecha, with this uh, organization in the '70s, who thought that it was a very good idea to send all the white people back to Europe and take back America. That, that was Raul Grijalva. Um, from there, you know, that Aslan have uh, this, uh, you know, number one point with this, we need to get into the education system. We need to, you know, seed the crops in the education system. And Raul gets... So they're Marxists. Yeah, they are Marxists. And they're yeah. the ones who were doing that thing down in Tucson a few years ago that got blocked where they were doing, instead of U.S. history, it was all this, uh, I don't know, kind of... A Mex it was called Mexican-American American Studies. And I fought, yes. and uh, I was doing at that time, when I was an activist, and a very good point, I was doing a CNN and Fox in Spanish in California, and I was the one fighting the Mexican-American Studies from Kentucky. Right. Yeah. Crazy... Um, you know, it all sounds nice, mm -hmm. you know, and white people sit up here and they say, oh, well, they should be able to learn about Mexico. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. But it's not really what's going yeah. on. There's an indoctrination going yeah, on. Yeah, if you read the books they were using, that basically, they they basically uh, teach hate to, to America and they teach, uh, when you talk about insurrection, 
those books are insurrection against yeah. America. Yeah. yeah. And are they blocked now from use in public schools? Yes, they are. Okay, yeah. that's great. Yeah. So um, you, th so this guy down there clearly is some nutty lefty. He's been down there a long time, though, hasn't he? Yep. Uh, like I said, he, he started in a school district, moved into Board of Supervisors for Pima County. Uh, when he was 50, he became a congressman in 02. So he's been there for 20 years. U.S. congressman. Yeah. Um, and, and then in, is, you know, and some of the border Democrats are yelling now at Washington going, hey, Biden, you know, not only are you stupid and everybody hates you, but we got to do something about the border because we have an election coming up. Mm -hmm. uh, is he one of the ones who's changing his tune a little bit or is he doubling down on stupid and he wants the borders open? He doesn't think there's any problem. Um, it, Raul is a per first of all, Raul is a person who is very low profile. You never see him. He doesn't campaign. Yeah, know? I've never even heard of the yeah. dude. Yeah, and he's, I'm like, I'm reasonably yeah. like paying attention yeah. to Arizona. But you know, he's a <clears throat> he's a person who is a, for example, he's the chairman of Natural Resources. So when you're talking about, you were talking, we don't have any oil here. Um, I have a lot of call from the old companies and all unions from Texas say, we hate this guy, you know, he's natural chairman of natural resources. But you have something with the basically is the oil for the future with this copper. And we have a lot of copper, you know, 74% of the copper we use in America come from this district. And he's been banning every company coming, trying to get into, into mining. Even if you comply with the regulations and everything, he, he will fight with his machine. For example, Regina Romero, the mayor in, in Tucson, is married with chief of staff for Raul Grijalva. His daughter is in a board of supervisor. His wife worked for, for the city of Tucson. So he got a machine. And he knows how to operate the machine. In fact, he's, he's radical open border. Um, there are a lot of conversation about his relationship with the cartels. Nobody has been able to prove that. But, uh, you know, it's a, you know, it needs to be some connection between him and, and, and the cartels on the other side because he doesn't do anything, absolutely anything, to do any type of enforcement. Right. You know, he was the one, I don't, I don't know if you remember, and, uh, you know, the bill, the, the 1070, uh, he was the one who asked, you know, Mexico to boycott Arizona. That's Raul Grijalva. So uh, he's the incumbent Democrat. Mm -hmm. are, how many Republicans are you running against in the primary? Um, I basically run in against nobody. Um, and, uh, you know, if you allow me, I, I, I really want to talk about this. So I was the only one who did petitions in the Republican Party. There were three people running when, when I started. It was a Green Beret from Yuma. An amazing guy, Josh Pendleton. Uh, Daniel Good, who is uh, the guy who ran in 2020. He's a veteran, Marine veteran, combat veteran. Um, and both of them, after they met me, you know, after three weeks campaigning, they said, you are the most strongest candidate here and you have a chance. We are going to step down. And nobody was running. Have you tried to get them to help you with your campaign Oh, also? they are helping. They oh, are. they are okay. working. Good. But, um, you know, the, the point is, you know, that nobody was doing, you know, you need to go through the petition process. You need to get 0.5% of the minimum of, of the electoral for the Republican Party. So my case was like 900. And I doubled that that amount of petitions. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a it's difficult process, you know, get all these people signing and, you know, they need to live in the district. And, you know, the law says very clear that the 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 person signing your petition need to be in your jurisdiction where where you, you're looking, seeking office. Um, so April 4 was the last day. Nobody was in the ballot. Nobody was doing petitions. I have volunteers and I, I put probably 50,000 miles on my district. And April 5th, 
I opened, you know, Secretary of the State website and it was a person in the ballot. So Nina Becker. So that person I started looking, doing research. So Nina Becker was a in criminal indicted in 2020 for forcing all the petitions, trying to run against a Republican who was running against Gallegos. Okay. So she was allowed as Secretary of State to run in my district with petition from Ruben Gallegos. Plus, you know, we did some investigations. We found the petition were all forced again. And even the people signing the back of the petition, one is dead for 10 years, the other is in a nursery home. So we challenged that to the to the to the Superior Court of Maricopa County. Uh, we have hundred percent trust that again she's gonna be out of the ballot, but the Maricopa County recorder validate all the petitions. Forced petition from totally different district. You cannot say, oh, okay, I'm going to run against Andy Big. You register to run against Andy Big. You do petitions in Andy Big district, and in the last minute you say, oh, no, I'm not running against Andy Big. I'm going to run against Paul Gozar. I think I have more chances. You can't do that because electoral people signing those petitions need to be from your district. Uh, we present the witnesses that people that say, no, I never signed the petitions. Um, so who is this woman? So she, so she's running against you in the Republican primary. She's she's running. Uh, the judge, uh, you know, we took like I said, we took the Supreme uh, Superior Court and uh, Maricopa County Superior Court, and based on the report from the Maricopa County Recorder, I don't blame the judge for this. Um, he said she can run. So you know, I started doing more research on her, and uh, you know, he, she's criminally indicted right now for what she did in 2020. But two doctors decided to filed the paper saying that she's mentally unstable to stand court. So uh, I look at doing more research and I found out that she's a donor for Democrat for Raul Grijalva. So she's cha she's challenging Raul Grijalva, but she donated in 2020, 11 months ago to Raul, 2021, Raul Grijalva, Mark Kelly, uh, Timo Halleran. So she's a plant from Grijalva. Grijalva is very dirty. That's the way. Does everybody know? I think everybody knows she's not campaigning. She's crazy. You know, she's a person. She's really an unstable person. It's been used. Um, we also found, you know, some money in her campaign. Uh, at the beginning was a Federal Election Commission report from her that she got close to a million dollars. And I said, man, that's going to hurt me, you know, to fundraise money. Um, and we started looking into the people who donated. And, you know, it, it was a crazy report, you know, Vladimir Putin, Bill Gates, uh, Jeffrey Epstein, who is dead, donated to her. So we did a, a challenge to the Federal Election Commission. They remove all that. But, you know, I, I still doing some research at that time. And I, we found out <clears> an organization called SURSH, S-U-R-J.org. This is a radical, uh, this is a group of white females that are the BLM from the white people. So they are the, the, their website said they are the, the home for white people for social justice. So these people have donated to, to Nina Becker. So uh, she's, of course, a plant. This organization is a leftist organization. Um, and that's how Ra Raul played his games. That's how he's been in power for, for so long. Um, I don't think she, she even have a chance, you know. So you're running in an election against her in the primary, mm -hmm. and then you'd be running against him. Yeah. And they're going to bring in a bunch of Democrat money to back him up. Absolutely. And the Republicans, if you get this, are they going to they come in and support you as a party? Or how does that work? Um, I'm a try shooter, and I'll be honest with you. I'm very disappointed with the Republican Party um, for not even try. And uh, this is no personal. It's nothing against me. Uh, I talk with everybody who ran in the last 10 years, the, the last four or five candidates that ran. I, I spoke with all of them. 
And the common uh, comment is, you know, the party didn't help me. The party didn't put any money. The party they, they didn't talk with the, you know, the money people so that we can really fight. Because this is a fight that you really need money. You know, you cannot fight this without money. How much money do you think you need to go at it with this guy? Well, last time he spent 600000 uh, but that was a race against, you know, Daniel. Uh, this is a very complex district. It's 64% Latino district. You know, basically, yeah, you really need to find somebody who, you know, can communicate in English and Spanish and understand the, the, the community. And Daniel was a great candidate, but I don't think he achieved that. So he, you know, Raul didn't even campaign. Didn't do anything. He spent 600000 So I think he's going to spend between a million, million and a half. Uh, and until now, I'll be honest with you, I've been doing this with my own money. You know, I got my, you know, my two businesses and, you know, small businesses and um, people don't, you know, first of all, businesses in the district are concerned about Raul. Raul is a very vindictive person. He's going to come after you. He, he had all this machine, all the charges he appoints in the past, and he's going to come after you. It happened to a, to a company who, you know, is doing a big development in Cochise County in Benson last week. Uh, you can research about that. It happened uh, May 11, uh, where Raul Grijal was uh, asking a judge that he appoint to do a criminal investigation against these developers in Benson, you know. Raul basically used the environmental issues all the time to stop any project he doesn't That's like. That's what they use. That's what yeah. leftists do. They yeah. use the environment over yeah. everything because who wants to say anything yeah. bad about the mm -hmm. environment? Yeah. But they use it like a kind of club yeah. to stop whatever yeah. is against them, yeah, whatever they yeah. don't like. These guys, you know, they are big developers. I know they are in Scottsdale. And, uh, you know, basically uh, through the Trump administration, they were able to move forward with the project and they donate $250,000 to Trump campaign. And now uh, Raul said, well, that's bribery. And that's how Raul treat the businesses over there, like the miners. You know, you have two amazing projects coming uh, into into southern southern Arizona. What you know, if you look into southern Arizona, the poverty rate is going up in the last twenty years, and we have double unemployment than any other state or the other part of Arizona. So we had these two big mining projects. You know, these two big companies investing close to five billion dollars, trying to invest five billion dollars. One of them has been fighting Raul and his machine for three years. Uh, this is not a business-friendly place. We are poor because we have a, a you know poor leadership. I think between you know trading and having all the ports of entries, ports of entry in, uh, in 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 the district, and the mining, you know we should have better lives. Honestly, it sounds like South America. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. yeah. You, we have a leftist, yeah. anti-American, mm -hmm. who uses his machine to oppress his opponents and mm -hmm. stop projects that he's not a part of. It sounds like South mm -hmm. America to it me. It sounds very corrupt, yes. <laughs> yeah, I remember I was talking with David Schweiker and when, you know, I have a business in Fountain Hills, so he lives in Fountain Hills, and we met uh, briefly in a, in a chamber meeting, and he said, he said man, that, that's brutal over there. CD7 is, you know, it's brutal. Raul Grijalva is brutal. I said, well, you know, I was born in a, a place where the politics are played in the same way, so... And like like I said, I, I wasn't want I didn't want to be involved in politics. But seeing what happened to this country, I said, I I got so much from this country, and I'm gonna sit down in my house house and be silent and just take care of my businesses. It's crazy that he's not in Washington representing the people of Southern Arizona. 
it's crazy that he's not there making noise over what's going on. You've been out on the border. Um, tell us a little bit about your experience. You've been out with law enforcement and everything down there, I imagine, numerous times, right? Yeah, I've been, you know, with law enforcement. I've been with, um, you know, private groups, um, and, you know, and Yuma area, Cochise area. You know, I think the first time I did that was with the sheriff department from Cochise. Uh, some people in D.C., you know, uh, put me in contact with them. And I did a tour over there. Um, in Yuma too, you know, we, we got a um, lot of groups over there. They are very concerned. So I, I did uh, Yuma several times, but you know, the most, uh, break, but the breaking point for me was able to go into the cartel trails, you know, there in Pajarito mountain, uh, is Santa Cruz County. And, and you see this area is so open. It's no border patrol. It's not drones. It's nothing. And basically is what, it because is that, is that on uh, that's not a native land, is it? No, that's a, a national forest. Okay. So that would be east from the Tohono Reservation. Okay. And that area, you know, that's a f brutal hiking that you do five days from the border to south to sun. And and what you have there is all the bad guys coming through that area, you know, because it, why you will come through this area if you can, you come through Yuma. Yuma is very interesting because you come over there, they already know what time the border patrol van is going to be there. They show up, they complain and say, I've been here for 45 minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, what happened with the van? It's not here. You know, I'm, I have seen them taking Uber to go to the detention center. Um, it's no question asked. You know, they just load them, take them over there. And I was making that point to the border patrol, to some border patrol. They say, oh, we had this amount of people. We catch this amount. Uh, we, you know, we got a helicopter and we, you know, rescue 20. I said, but yeah, you're doing all this, but you know, you're taking to Homeland Security and Homeland Security free them and fly them wherever they want to go. So why are you spending even taxpayer money to catch them and transport them, process them, give them, you know, because you need to drop everything you have there. Um, you know, your backpack and everything, your belongings. Right. So the only thing you can carry is your phone and your clothes. And, and after that, you see them coming out with, you know, new clothes and flights going all over the place. Um, and we're spending a lot of taxpayer money on that, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, what do you do as a U.S. congressman to change what's going on at the border in Arizona? Let's say you get a, let's say you win and you get elected. What do you do to change yeah. it? When I win, we are going to defeat this guy. Okay. We need to get him out. Um, and, and, and we're getting a lot of traction. And I want to make a donation to your campaign. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Appreciate that. People always, you know, everybody always does lip service and I'm just like, I'm so fucking sick of people not doing oh, yeah. stuff. It pisses me off. I'm like, I'm angry. One of the reasons I started the show is on how mad I am at the people in my country. That's a, the same reason I'm running. I was, I went from angry to depressed to angry again. And I said, I, you know, I tried to stay away, but I, I said, my life is going to be miserable. I'm telling you, it's brutal what I'm doing. Uh, but, you know. Um, Grab me a pen. Would you? Oh, thank, thank you. You know, I see what's going on with... Um, I, I see what's going on at every level with the 2020 campaign, the election. Mm -hmm. They, somebody pulled something off, and I think we all know it. Mm -hmm. And uh, Dinesh D'Souza's got a movie out about it. Two thousand Mules, yes. Did you see that? I saw even, I saw part of that movie uh, even four months ago because... Uh, a lot of that happened in the district I am right now, San Luis and Summerstone. Uh -huh. I'm, going, I'm going to San Luis and Summerstone tomorrow. Yeah. And I, we're starting a campaign, you know, because basically it's the Hispanic community who is going through this process. You know, it's a, they, they are used 
by these you know non-profit organizations you know you know chicano for la raza groups like that they, they go to the people and say uh we're here to pick up your ballot and i, I i'm telling you probably 70 50 60 percent of the people doing that you know the, the latinos giving the ballot don't know what they're doing there they don't know they're breaking the law so we need to educate the people uh keep talking about and you know that i was talking with an organization in dc this week i said we need to stop talking and doing something yeah. okay and i'm gonna start doing you know doing videos in spanish i'm gonna start doing everything i can to be able to you know uh educate these people who do i make it out to uh luis posolo for you for congress right people don't you know it's need a bunch of people to give you some money yes we do you know, um, you know if you're up there in california and you're in Marin County and you know your money's not going to matter, or if you're in New York or Massachusetts or you're in a Democrat area in Pennsylvania or Maine, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, Illinois, any of these bastions of batshit crazy leftists and you want to make a difference, you can nudge a little bit in your hometown if you think it helps, but these there, this money moving around the country can actually help a whole lot. Check number 154. <laughs> Pardon me. A little break in our show here while I do this. There you go, my friend. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. Um, People don't realize the porousness of the border, what what awful stuff's coming across the border. And I think the Democrats don't, I think as usual, they've overplayed their hand. Somebody screwed with this election and it's clear and we all know it. Mm -hmm. And if we say it, we get kicked off social media for mm -hmm. saying it and it's true. Um, everybody knows it. The facts are out. Trump's been screaming mm -hmm. it, and he's been blocked from mm -hmm. everybody. Elon Musk buying Twitter. That deal's in jeopardy right now because they're, Twitter, the CEO, is failing to disclose that Musk believes, on his estimation, 20%, one in five of the accounts on Twitter are fake. Wow. That means 20% lie of customers to their publicly reported company, mm -hmm. okay? Um, they're worried about him getting it because Trump can start screaming that the election was rigged and nobody mm -hmm. can stop him, right? Because they want to they wanna control the information. Control information. Yes. And so we know the election was monkeyed with mm -hmm. and not in the normal fashion, in a big way. What mm -hmm. we don't know is if it was the DNC or was it the Chinese Communist Party or was it Russia? Or was it Russia and China? There's something going on, and we all know it. Mm -hmm. And now what they've done is they've awoken a bunch of people who mostly just went to work every day. Mm -hmm. Those conservatives, we all had jobs. We're not on the yes. dole. We're not sitting around watching uh, TV shows uh, mm -hmm. during daytime TV. We're all at work. Yes. And what they've done is they've got guys like me who would normally be working all day, talking for two hours about politics online and telling everybody I know and writing checks and donating money and pushing people. Mm -hmm. So I think that um, 
I think they've overplayed their hand. I think it's been a big miscalculation. How do we stop what happened in 2020? I think the election's the most important thing because if we had the duly elected president in office right now, this stuff would not be going this oh, absolutely. way. Um, what can be done down in your neck of the woods in uh, CD7 to stop the corruption? Yeah. Uh, as I explained before, the 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 corruption and the election process start like in things like happened to me. Now being being running a primary with a person who shouldn't be on the ballot. Right. Okay. So this is happening, and and to be honest, I think everybody's involved. Everybody knows what is happening. Uh, you know, the Maricopa County Recorder is a Republican. So. Um, I think, like I said before, um, my goal um, and the work I'm going to be doing the next uh, 60 days is educating people. Uh, I'm a grassroots guy. I, I spend days on the field. I'm not sitting in, you know, in an office with chairmen and, and uh, the big guys of the Republican Party. I'm going to the people, and we are waking up a lot of people, especially in the, in the Hispanic community. And you know, uh, this weekend, for example, I was in, 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 uh, in Tucson, across Raul Grijalva's office in a park, and the people were so hungry, Hispanic people were so hungry to talk to me. I said, hey, we need to talk with somebody. We've never seen this guy. We need new blood. Um, so I need to, I, I think the process is educating them because this process happens through nonprofit organization. It, it's, it's our organized crime. Uh, basically, you, you have the harvesters, you have the people who, you know, pile everything in different offices in San Luis and Summerstone. It happened here. It did happen in Maricopa County. And then you have the mules who are the ones going into the drop boxes. So uh, June 1st, we, we do have a Supreme Court is going to be ruling yes or no on, on, on drop boxes. That's the number one. You need to take those drop boxes. And, because you can do anything with yeah, those. Yeah, yeah. And that's being challenged by the Arizona uh, State Supreme Court, right? Yes. Yeah. It's June uh, okay. 1st. They're going to rule on. Hopefully they do it. Um, that's the number one, you know. And, and the second one is educating the people. Um, you know, for example, in, in, in CD7, my district, you talk with Hispanic Democrats, and they would tell you, well, I, you know, I, I was told that if I'm a Democrat on the channel, I cannot vote for a Republican even if I like it. So we need to do a lot of education work. We need to spend, you know, a lot of time and money and resources educating these people, doing videos, uh, door hangers. I, I knock doors um, in San Luis. Well, you, if you if you watch yourself and mules, that's basically where everything happened. 95% um, speak Spanish in the area. Um, and I was knocking doors for like two days. Um, I would say that 75% of the people, I asked the, the normal question to everybody, I say, are you registered to vote? Yes. Uh, how do you vote? You vote in person or mail-in ballot? Okay. Um, are you registered Republican or a registered Democrat, Independent? Because I was asking for sign my petition. I don't know. And the reason they don't know is because you have this organization, for example, Chicano for La Raza, who use, they have access to the census database. So they know what areas they can target. They have your address, your phone number, and everything. They go to your house. They register to vote. They don't ask you. They just fill out that form. It did happen to my wife when she became citizen. She became citizen in a different ceremony three weeks before me. And uh, she walked outside. We are all excited. She was a citizen. Everybody was celebrating. And somebody walked to her and said, Are you gonna, do you want to register to vote? Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, you know, a month later, we checked, and she was a Democrat. How that happen? Because legally, they, they need to ask you. The question needs to be asked for any organization. Even if you're a Republican, you're registering somebody, legally, you need to ask a question. 
How do you want to register? Right. Right. Uh, so that's the number one problem. And the second one uh, problem that you had, these people need to understand how important the boat is and what they are doing with their boat. It's just like it reminds me of the uh, Baltimore, Philadelphia, uh, Columbus, Ohio, Chicago, mm -hmm. Illinois, where you have a, uh, you know, you have a poor class of people yep. that's being basically uh, you know, as Malcolm X said, they were being kept on the plantation of the liberal, the yes. liberal, the progressive plantation, because uh, in their cases, uh, some uh, black charismatic leader is keeping them down so mm -hmm. that they have party to aggrandize themselves in Washington. That's what you have in CZ7. Yeah. And then we've got them using some sort of South American style of mm -hmm. uh, almost uh, mob. It's almost uh, gangster corruption, mm -hmm. what, what I see going yeah. on. I, you know, even you talk about South America, uh, in the country I was born in Uruguay, Yeah, you will never be able to pull this. Because the system is so basic, you know, and you rarely have a voter ID, and they have a copy of your voter ID when you register so to you vote. So you can't pull this shenanigan. No, you know, you have 297 people, let's say, in this table, they're going to vote, and the, you come and they have this big book, and they look, you have like a passport, they open like that, they look into that book and say, oh, that's you, or they, oh, yeah, that's you, okay. And you need to sign and everything, and you cannot have your 297, and oh, I have 500 votes. It, it, it's impossible. You, you know, know? They, they, the technology people have come along and lied to everybody. They say, you can't do this manually. We, we were doing it manually. There were... 280 million we were doing mm -hmm. it manually do, doing it manually is actually yeah. the best way to do yeah. it um you know i did um in my process uh in america I became certified by microsoft i'm a microsoft professional and i designed a similar system that you use to pull data from the from the ballots okay that's called imaging or um it's called imaging metafile and i designed a similar system for a company called universal weather and aviation in texas i work for them and they they bought the Gemini building in NASA, so they, they operate there. I spent a year and a half working with them. I was the guy who did the functional design doc, uh, the functional design for their program, how you extract data from a piece of paper and you put it in a table in a program, right? And, you know, I was looking into all this, and the funny part, I, I grow to Kelly Ward and all these people before I, I want to get involved in politics. I say, look, I want to help. You know, I'm, I design a similar system. I know how to trick this system. And it's very easy to trick uh, because the mapping, you know, I can change fields, you know, that say, okay, you're extracting from here to, the, here to this table in this field. And you can, that's called mapping. You can change the mapping and the vote from Donald Trump go to Biden in the table and, you know, vice versa. So the system is so easy to trick and looking into all the information from the audit, uh, you know, you basically see that all these people you know, they have no common sense. You know, you have people with access to the server. A system administrator will never give you access to a server. You will need to kill him before he give you access to a server. You have people that, you have five, six, seven people using the same password to log in. That don't that's even happen nuts. in McDonald's. No, It doesn't happen nuts. even in McDonald's. No. You know, uh, password, they don't have. Uh, so there's no security. No. It's super easy yeah. to hack. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, it seems like it was done all at the same time in a coordinated way and mm -hmm. effort. So there's either one, there's one of two possibilities. One is it's been the normal way of doing business for the last 75 years and they've gotten really good at it and it's just normal. They don't even need to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And, and we all just haven't done anything about it and it happened on our watch or somebody big came along and organized it. 
a Soros, oh, yes. a, a China, oh, yeah. a, a Russia. <clears throat> what do you think? Do you think you've obviously been plugged in listening to this? You've seen it in action down mm -hmm. where you're at. Do you think it's centrally organized or do you think it's the way the party functions? It is uh, centrally organized because you have some of these called mules. Uh, they work in different states, um, you know, and... Uh, with the, um, but we don't know who is organizing it yet. Not yet. That's but, the bizarre part because yeah, yeah. it would seem like there's got to be, you know, when money changes hands, mm -hmm. there's a chain of evidence, yeah. right? So uh, um, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I, I really hope I'm just a fr I'm afraid of people not voting because they don't believe the election anymore. There, there will be some people in that situation. and there, there are other people don't don't even want to talk. I was very surprised at even the Republican Party. And a lot of Republicans didn't want to talk about cowards. Yeah, yeah, they didn't want to talk about election. No, don't talk about this. You are gonna sound crazy. You are gonna, you know. But you know, I look into that as a professional and say this is possible. I can pull that. I could pull that, especially with how insecure the system is. Um, how the you know the the tabulators communicate with the central server here in Maricopa County, and you have a central, uh, you have a server who have a drag, uh, I drag tool that can be remotely, somebody can get into that server remotely. That I drag shouldn't be on that server, and that's something you know I I, I did programs like that, and I work with company both servers uh, for for Dell and another companies, and basically they install that I drag because. They're they're doing the maintenance to your server, and it's cheaper to do it, you know, remotely, remotely you know, yeah. than than sending somebody. But in this situation, uh, you have passwords that didn't change for two years and a half, and lots of people with access. Yeah. So if if you tell me the election was secure, no, it wasn't. You know, when you have ballot, you know, uh, as you know, the ballot doesn't even have a serial number. So because they don't have a serial number, you cannot put a SQL in the program. I'm saying, you know, in an accounting program, you can run this check and you run it one time. The second time, the SQL will tell you, okay, check 1154 was already run. You cannot run it a second time. But because both uh, is secret, those ballots can be duplicated or somebody can run it 10 times. Right? right, right. Because the SQL is not SQL. It's nothing that they will show the, pro the program. Right. You already ran this. You're running boys two 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 four yeah, already. Yeah, yeah. So you know it's a it's a lot of work to do and on the to to bring security into the election and uh, it it really need to happen and the harvesting on, on the field, um, it, you know Raúl Grijalva is it's been part of that machine and uh, I have information there some tides already you know that, I don't know if you know the Yuma uh, Sheriff Department open investigation uh, FBI has been there for like 15, 20 days. Um, AG oh, oh, because of the election. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's twenty-four different investigations. The Yuma Sheriff's Department open on election fraud, no, twenty twenty. So ba basically, because you now you have, if you are one of these guys, and you know, let's say this, you are listening to this program, um, the shield uh, data that through the vote vote they pay two million dollar for, uh, that data have a serial number. That's unique for your cell phone. Even if you burn your cell phone, you know. In December, we already know who you are. You know, through the vote already, pass that information to law enforcement and the FBI. I don't trust, to be honest, the FBI. I don't trust, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, are you yeah. seeing FBI? FBI, yes. Yeah, I don't so, trust the FBI yeah. either, not as far as I can yeah. throw them. 
So they do have information. So basically, the $2 million, that's, I think they are 4 trillion megabyte of data they bought from cell phones. Yeah, uh, you're talking about oh, for what they did for the movie? Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that, was, that was through the boat who did that. And yeah. they provided, they tried to make a movie with several people, nobody wanted to do it. Uh, De Sousa, you know, was an amazing guy too. He's an immigrant too. Yeah. Uh, he, he was the one who decided to do it. So basically, you had data and you had cameras. And you can see the same person going different places 10, 12 different times a day. Uh, so it doesn't lie. You know, people say, well, you know, this person is talking about that or you're talking with somebody say, oh, I saw this happening, uh, you know, but th these are these are this is data. These are very strong. It's, it's the kind of stuff that people go to prison over when they're looking for murderers. Yes, I sir. mean, the FBI and everybody already uses this mm -hmm. data to solve crimes every yeah. single day. Yeah, I don't know if you remember in Georgia when they, um, it was a, a random shooting and they killed a kid. Uh, it was a six years old kid. They was walking the street and these people were shooting each other. They killed, the kid got killed. The way they catch the two guys was through shield track from the cell phone. So, because basically people say, well, they're not going to be watching your cell phone. When you buy your cell phone, you sign the term and, and conditions, you are allowing them to sell your data. And if I have enough money, I can buy the data from your phone for the last 10 years if I want. Uh, so these people doing this, they are already identified. It's a system, it's a, a justice system and the law enforcement will do something about. I don't know. I don't know how much compromise they are, how much pressure they're getting from, yeah. you know, these politicians and yeah. the politicians. Um, tell me uh, what else. You, I mean, obviously the border is yeah. prima facie. That's your big thing for uh for yeah. where you are for for yeah. obvious we need reason. to secure the border yeah we well, need to find a way to secure the border what else is on your horizon how else would you or do you have any let's say you go to washington you're one of 435 members of congress mm -hmm. what are you what are you doing to help secure the border what else what's in your playbook uh the first thing we need to do is allow the border patrol to do their job right okay and i think you know uh hold the line is you know i don't think you know catching people and processing people and spending, you know, taxpayer money to send them back. We need to hold the line. That's what in the, in the 90s we did. You're not coming across here because basically what they are doing, they're pulling the Asians, you know, like for example, they are not working in the border. Now you have 30, 40% of those Asians that now they're doing paperwork for all the uh, asylum cases. Right. So when you say hold the line as um, this would be uh, immediately picking people up, driving them across the border and dropping them off. You or, just don't let them uh, come across. Right. I have been in that situation, um, you know, the, doing recon with some groups in, uh, the, in, in this area. Um, you know, we give them the option. We catch groups and uh, we say, hey, what do you want to do? You want me to call border security, uh, border patrol right now? We have sat phone or you want to go back? And, uh, and now border patrol just processes them into the country. Yeah, basically that's what they do. You know, they are, you are a cat over there. They transport you to a detention center where there are tents. You know, remember we have the sheriff show our pie and everybody yeah. complain about tents. If you go to Yuma, there are big tents, you know, huge, uh, you know, big walls around so you cannot see anything. I tried to get in, they didn't allow me to get in. They are processed over there and after you're free to go, they, okay, this is your court date and only 10, 12% show up for the court date. Right. And now, you know, you right. disappear in the system. Uh, I interview a lot of people in Yuma coming through the border and, and people always have that mentality, oh, the Mexicans, the Mexicans. I would say one or between one to 5% of the people I interview are Mexicans. 
the majority of the people, there are a lot of Russian, Indian, uh, Ukrainians, uh, Venezuelan, Cubans, Haitians, uh, Colombians. Um, that's basically what you find. You They're know? using Mexico as an avenue to yeah. get, get yeah. here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, you know, I was in Mexicali. You know, it's funny because um, uh, I was in a TV show in Mexicali. You know, the big guy over there who owns uh, Luis Cabada on the TV show, TV stations, and the, the other side invited me to speak in Mexico. I said, I go. Um, and the Mexicans are concerned about border security now. You know, because you have all these people around the world coming through Mexico. They don't want that people in their country neither. So they, they asked me, I said, what do we do? I said, well, it's nothing wrong with protect your borders. Now you have the feeling, right? And I said, yeah, we want to protect our borders now too. Yeah. So Mexico is, in the, you know, is, is, is suffering, all these people showing up and all the problems, you know, and you have all the cartels operating this. The cartels are running this, you know? Yeah. So um, I think the cartels probably, there's so much money involved. I think they're steering what's going on on this side of the border too. Yeah. I think they're pushing around or buying or paying for the people that are on this side of the border. It wouldn't surprise me if they're paying for the, you know, I'll tell you what, it would be, it would be the ultimate cartel move to be the ones who organized and paid for all the mules. Oh, absolutely. Wouldn't it? Yeah, I no. mean, couldn't it, wouldn't it be funny if it wasn't China or Russia? Cause China goes, we don't want a war with the United States. They find this out. We're going to war. Yeah. Russia's no, we don't want a war. The yeah. cartels, wait, they don't care about no, that. They don't care. Yeah. They don't care and uh, they, they want to keep the border open. And it's funny because I talk to a lot of people in DC and I say, oh, we call Raul here the cartels congressman. That's, that's his nickname in, in Washington, the cartels congressman. Um, and you know, the cartels are very strong. You know, you ma you're making seven, eight uh, to 10 grand per person you're running through. You know, and right now they find out it's better to run people than run drugs because you know the people they're sent back you send them back you didn't lose anything if they catch you you know with 500 pounds of fentanyl they take away from you you lose all that uh so that you know human trafficking is uh, is uh, is real people doesn't understand and it's so sad you know because you go into these areas and, and i don't know if you hear about they're they're called the pants trees so uh when you go into mexico uh there are costcos or cabelas for for you know, people coming across, you get your camo, you get your backpack with everything you need. Females, they get the after-sex pills. You know, they need to take five to ten of those in their they, pocket. They have to do what? Uh, buy sex, after-sex pills because they know she, they're going to be raped several times through the border. So what these assholes do is basically rape the girls and they have what they call pants tree and they hang the pants from the girls they rape, you know, through that process. They, you know, I can send you pictures, you can see it. So... Uh, you know, if you are a female coming through that border and uh, did a commercial yesterday in Spanish, I was saying, you know, Raul Grijalba is responsible. This open border is allowing this process, you know, and these females, they know because you go into Mexico, like I said, you buy your camo, buy your backpack with water and food that you need to walk into, you know, for four or five days. And the females already have in the, their package the after sex pills so they don't get pregnant through the process. They know they're going to be raped several times or killed if you're not gonna get raped. So this is an atrocity happening in our own land. It's happening in American soil and we are not doing anything about it. And wow. these people are even grab their pants, the panties and hang it in a tree and that's it's the, like a the trophy. trophy. It's a trophy, you know, yeah. they, well, yeah, we raped five this uh, today, you know, it's uh, and we don't even talk about, you know, we wow. don't talk about, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, uh, the Supreme Court justice can't define what a woman is, yeah. so there must not be any rape after yeah, all. Absolutely, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, it is, it is. 
Well, um, tell uh, tell our folks who uh, step in and, and listen to this discussion about the border where they can donate to your campaign. Okay. Um, like I said before, this 420 mile of border, uh, it bothers everybody. If you're a conservative, you're a human being, and it bothers you. Uh, and it, it is an American problem. It's not only my CD7 people problem. Uh, if you live in Arizona or in any, any other state, this is a big problem that we need to be solved. Yeah. And, and, and I need everybody's help to do it. So my website is luis4congress.com. You can donate. Uh, you can volunteer. Uh, we need all the possible help. I think we have a big chance to defeat Raul. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a very good candidate, uh, you know, uh, to defeat him. You're a good campaigner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very good, yeah. So, Luis, L-U-I-S, number four, congress.com. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, go there. You guys donate a little bit of money. Uh, donate whatever you can. Um, it matters. These, these, uh, these peripheral things that aren't in the news, and you hear about this from behind the scenes, and you got a guy who's run for Congress, and he's willing to say this right out loud, right in front of everybody. You know, so many times, I think it's kind of baller of you. Most people are cowards about mm-hmm. calling out their uh, their opponents for their behavior. Yeah. I think it's pretty baller of you to be calling out his behavior. Um, I hope you don't get killed by somebody down there, because I wouldn't put it past anybody who's running the big machine. Yep, absolutely. And we are very careful. We have security. You know, I'm a Second Amendment supporter, too. I'm a good shooter, too. I carry a gun with me or two all the time. Yeah. yeah. What are you carrying? A 9mm and a 45, a 1911, and a Smith & Wesson. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. Well, um, a pleasure having you here. If there's anything else you want to talk about before we sign off today, feel free to let me know. Bobby, is there something we didn't talk about? Talk about the border and the wall on the other side. Oh, yeah. That could be good. Yeah. You got a couple minutes? Yeah, two minutes before I do that. I have that need to do that five minutes every Tuesday. I apologize. Yeah, that. tell us about this uh, wall on the other side. So, you know, the, the, the most important part, you know, the, the border, and I hear people running for governor, I, I'm going to build a wall myself. So it's a very complex. So you have several different jurisdictions. You know, if you start from the east side, uh, so basically you have uh, national forest, which is federal. You have the Tohono Reservation. You have two pieces that are sacred land that Raul Grijalva was able to get a sacred land that nobody has jurisdiction at the border. You know, there's several hundred miles, uh, you know, probably 70 to 80 miles of, uh, you know, sacred land at the border. And in the other And what side, do you mean sacred land? Uh, it's, uh, you know, sacred it's, to whom? To, to everybody, so it's like a, it's not it's not part of the reservation, but it's sacred. Uh, it's a, it's like like a you know national forest, but even a border patrol doesn't have jurisdiction in the area. So it's very interesting. Uh, he worked very hard on that. You know, uh, he's a you know uh, you know land grabber, and that land needs to be on the border. So it's very clear that you have all the paths. And I had some conversation. He spent some federal money to make those paths very very you know comfortable for for the guys coming across to and after that you have what is the u.s marine corp land on the other side so the the most important part here to finish building the wall is talking with the tohono reservation and you have two ways to do this or you go back to them congress have the power to revise the treaties and that would be me i'm gonna go to reservation say let's we need to have a a wall here if you don't want to have the wall i'm gonna present a bill to you know, revise the treaties with your nation have with, with Congress. And the other one is talk with Mexico. Pay Mexico to build the wall five feet away from, from, from the Tohono Reservation because that's the main spot, the main problem that you yeah. have. And some of the natives, you know, some of the natives don't want 
uh, all this crossing and everything is happening and all these drugs and but the tribe yeah. is in on yeah. it i think the tribe is in on it the leaders not the people oh no I, the, yeah. the leaders are yes. in on it yes, yeah. Yeah. casinos yeah. and drugs yeah. and cash yeah absolutely and, oh yeah it's yeah. all part of the deal mm -hmm. i i know guys who were going down there some recon friends of mine who were recording stuff with game cameras yes. and they said it's unbelievable yep it is and and that's a highway for them because mm -hmm. they can go right through there you know the other thing to do is say um you know you're gonna side with an invading force so we're gonna do what we're gonna do yep but we, <laughs> but we need to secure the border we yeah. need to be serious about and be bold talking about the problems that we have um and we need to be strong in washington because uh, you know the forces coming from both parties they are you know bad bad guys in both sides yeah they 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 have different interests to don't secure this border uh and we need to do what we need to do we need to protect our people and and again I'm running, you know, I'm not, I'm running for the people, you know, to take this seat from a bad man and give him back to the people. That's what it should be. The people, the power come from the people. I'm not going to have any power in Washington. The power is going to be on the people. They are going to delegate that power to me to represent them and their will. You know, it's shocking. Uh, people have a tendency, uh, elected officials, they get elected and they go to a place and they forget that that place is not where they get their power and they stop being at the place exactly. that elected them. Yeah. I think it's one of the most powerful things. If I were elected Congress, Senator, or whatever, I would be back in my home state every week going to events, going mm -hmm. to school board meetings. I would be going to city yep. council meetings. You I need would to. Be pushing everybody and letting them know they're being, yeah. everyone's watching each other. Yeah. You know, we have no accountability in this country. No, no it's the number yeah. one thing. People are busy, are, you know, concerned, are, they're busy with their jobs, their life, their yeah. kids, and you forgot the most important part. You know, the foundation of your family and your economy and your business is America. If, you know, you are not taking care of America. You know, you just forgot about the most, the foundation. This is a ship, you know, it's sinking. And you're thinking about, oh, I'm sitting here in this pool. Yeah, but the pool is in a, you know, in a, yeah. you know, in a it's, ship. It's, it's not sinking. hyperbole. It really yeah. is. We, you know, everybody, every, politicians always want to make everything the big moment so mm -hmm. they can get people to vote. But I think we're at a weird turning point and inflection point in our country. Yeah. If we can't defend our borders, if we can't do uh, clean elections, if we can't elect our leaders, yeah. uh, we got problems, you know. Southern Arizona's got a problem because maybe there's a corrupt politician they can't mm -hmm. get out and he's locked his way into office yeah. and that guy's affecting the state election. Absolutely. And the yes. state election has affected the national mm -hmm. election. So it's a few people who are corrupting the whole system yeah. and uh, it's time for some goddamn accountability. Yeah. yeah, and it's not only that, you know, I, I, I believe we didn't, we have not done a very good job uh, fighting him. I think he's very vulnerable, he's lazy. Uh, he's 75 years old. He's a drunk. He's at 10 o'clock in the morning. He's already drunk. He's, he doesn't campaign. He doesn't do anything, basically. Uh, but, you know, he got that machine. Oh, my uh, God. Yeah. He's a drunk. He's lazy. And yeah. he, I mean, to be saying this about the guy you're running against who's well, a the, congressman is fantastic. But, you know, everybody knows uh, I have not met one person who didn't tell me, oh, I met him and I hacked him and he, I shake his hand. I can't smell the alcohol in his mouth. I got radio shows. Uh, uh, oh. Guys tell me at 8 o'clock in the morning, I can't smell the alcohol coming out from him. Okay. And, and basically, uh, I, I, I don't believe he's that strong. He got a machine and everything, but we have not been good enough to be organized as conservatives and Republicans to defeat him. I don't think he's good. We are worse than him. 
in the way we try to 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 defeat him in the last 10 years 20 years you know yeah, and yeah. I, we can do a better job and i'm doing that job myself um uh, grassroots movement we go all over the place the people that were on my campaign nobody get paid everybody doing this for, because they believe what we're doing well if we could do anything to help let me know Thank i'm you, sir. happy to donate a little bit and help yeah. and uh, i hope uh i hope it goes really well for you i hope you kick the guy's ass uh we need uh we need good-hearted yeah. men like you uh, run for office. Yeah. Pleasure having you here. Thank you, sir. Thanks for being here. Hey, sports fans, that's your show. Thanks for stepping in and watching. Um, you can see these little fights are going on everywhere, and they matter. It's a little peripheral fight in a border town in Arizona, a border part of Arizona, along the border, not just a border town. There's a little fight going on. There's a corrupt machine there, and that machine was a part of something bigger that happened in 2020. And uh, not a little part of it, not insignificant. Mm -hmm. And uh, for all of you who wonder what happened, if you're still curious about what happened, if you even care what happened, um, you can connect a few dots here and you start to see a pattern and you start to see uh, see something unfold. Just because something sounds like a conspiracy does not mean it's not true. Um, so all you got to do is sniff around and be open-minded about the facts. And it's really starting to come clear what happened. And it's pretty spooky. Uh that's the show. I'm out.